today uh, as they come down the mountain. I wanted to share with you something I thought that was interesting about our text today versus our text back in November. Um, today, we're going to look at verses 14 through 29. And Jesus comes down from this mountain, and immediately he walks into a problem. And uh, the scribes, the religious leaders, are arguing and de debating with his disciples. Jesus steps in and comes to find out that the situation is there's a little boy who has got a demon, demon-possessed, and it... And, and the demon is just terrorizing this kid. And so the desperate dad brings this little boy to Jesus' disciples to cast this demon out. And they couldn't. They couldn't do it. Now, they had done it before. Successfully, when Jesus sent them out, they cast out the They couldn't cast this demon out. So Jesus comes down and, and uh, gets, pulls the boy aside with the father and gets the details. And there's a wonderful... Um, honest conversation that takes place between Jesus and, and this desperate dad. And Jesus commands the demon to leave and never to return. And everybody's amazed. And then Jesus gets away with his disciples and goes into the house. And they want to know one thing. Why couldn't we do that? And he tells them. So that's the gist of the whole thing. John MacArthur, I thought, did a really good job when he... He takes, because we tend to divorce texts from each other. Jesus literally gets down from the mountain with the three disciples, which means there's only nine that were left down at the bottom of the mountain in the valley. And, and then this takes place. So John MacArthur says, if you step back a little bit and you look at what just happened on the transfiguration up on the mountain and what's going on in the valley, you see some contrast there. And here's what he said. He says this, this episode took place immediately after the transfiguration. The contrast between the two events are striking. The transfiguration happened on a mountain. This happened in the valley below. In a transfiguration, there was glory. Here, there was suffering. In a transfiguration, God dominated the scene. Here, Satan did. In a transfiguration, the Heavenly Father was pleased. And in this incident, an earthly father was tormented. In the transfiguration, there was a perfect son. Here, there was a perverted son. At the transfiguration, fallen men were in holy wonder. But in this section, there was a fallen boy in unholy horror. You see the contrast here? I mean, you, you just can't make this stuff up, can you? It's, it's quite true. So from the, I just titled this sermon, um, the Valley of, Lessons from the Valley of Go Figure. Because Jesus came from the Mount of Transfiguration to the Valley of Go Figure. <laughs> and we're going to look at that from the, from the words of this desperate dad today and disciples that couldn't get the job done. Have you ever failed at something in your life? Right? Are we all failures here? We've all, we've all been there, done that, bought that t-shirt, right? Uh, nobody likes it. Nobody likes to fail. Failure's painful. Failure is not fun, but there's a lot of things you can learn in failure. One of the better books on that is entitled Failing Forward. Because, you know, if you can learn from those failures, if you can learn from the things that have gone wrong, you, can, you might be able to 
come away with some lessons. And the disciples are going to learn that. I mean, you might walk away and say, well, that's a mistake. I don't ever need to repeat again. How many of you ever walked away and said that? I said, I'm not doing that again. Um, or you might walk away and say, you know, I need to work harder if, I, if I'm going to succeed at this. I've got to put in more effort. Another lesson from failure is that if, as I move ahead and go forward in this, I'm going to need some help. I can't do this by myself. And you come to that realization. That ever happened to you? Well, that's kind of where the disciples are today. And that's, the, that's a lesson that they need to learn. And many of us need to learn. I, I need help. I can't do this by myself. But as the Bible says in Philippians 4.13, in a broader context of contentment, I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. But in the contrast of that, how much can I do that matters without him? Nothing. John 15, I always think of Sally Glaze. That was her favorite verse there. Without him, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. So what do we do here? I need to let my weakness drive me to his strength. I need to let my impotence drive me to his omnipotence. I need to let my limitations drive me to God's unlimited resources. And I need to let my humility drive me to Christ's sufficiency. Amen? There's an old hymn, and probably only old timers will know, it's called Just When I Needed Him Most. And that fourth stanza says this, Just when I need him, he is my all, answering when upon him I call, tenderly watching, lest I should fall. You need him today. And somebody needs to, someone in here needs to hear, I need to hear that. I need the Lord, and I can't do anything without him. And the disciples, these poor fellows, if you've seen it in Mark, they still got, they still got a ways to go. They're, they're not to the graduation point yet. They got a lot to learn. And they're going to learn it through this father, this desperate dad with a suffering son. And they're going to plumb the truths of a process that leads really to three lessons in the Valley of Go Figure. And I want to talk about those three lessons. Now, this, this event today about, with this little boy, this suffering son and his desperate dad, also shows up in Matthew's gospel. If you want to jot that down and read it later, Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20. And then also in Luke uh, chapter 9, verses 37 to 43. Here's what's interesting. Mark's account, now he's known for being brief, but not here. Mark's account, there's a lot more detail being given about this situation, and it's twice as long as the other ones, which is a little bit rare. And it gives us the impression of a firsthand testimony, which we, we, we can rightfully assume came from Peter. Um, so, let's think about those three lessons that can be learned in this Valley of Go Figure. Here's the first one, and it's in your outline this morning. And it is this, we never advance beyond our need for Jesus. Amen? I don't, I don't care how, how uh, well discipled you are, how sanctified you are, you need Jesus. You say, well, I don't need to go to church to have Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I need Jesus to go to Walmart. <laughs> right, man? I, I'm in trouble. If I, I need Jesus to get up and start my day in the morning. 
and my wife says I also need a cup of coffee. And that I shouldn't really talk to people until I've had that coffee. And I know there's a compliment. She means well when she says that. I'm just trying to figure out what that is. We need Jesus. Amen. And you will, you will, never, you will never advance beyond your need for Jesus. Let's look at our text today in verse 14 through 19. It says this. And when he had come, and when he came to the disciples and came down from the mountain, there were nine disciples, three were still with him. He saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. That's the religious leaders. And there's disputing with his disciples. 15. Immediately, there's his word. By the way, those of you that have been with us last year, Mark uses this word immediately. It's called the fast gospel. Immediately, when they, the people, saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to meet him, greeting him. Verse 16, and he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? By the way, aren't you glad we got a, we got a king that stands up for us? Amen? Amen? I'm so glad we got a, we got a king who stands, stands up for us. I, I need that, and I know you do too. What are you discussing with them? You're talking with my boys. 17, and one of the crowd answered, and most of the scribes didn't answer, Someone in the crowd answered, Teacher, I, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples and they, that they should cast it out, but they could not. And look at Jesus' response here. Not exactly what you would expect. He answered him, this desperate dad, and said, O faithless generation... How long shall I be with you? And how long shall I bear with you? Interesting how Jesus deals with this situation. So here's some things to think about. You know, Jesus is on the mountaintop. And we like, if we had our choice, would you agree with me? Would, would we not live on the mountaintop? Whenever, those wonderful experiences with God, we just stay there. But it's not, that's not what we need. Because it's in the valley is where hurting people are. In the valley is where you learn how much you need Jesus. So down the mountain they come. And they're here to minister, to serve these fallen people who still don't understand who Jesus is. And that's Mark's whole point. He lets a cat out of the bag in chapter 1, verse 1. This is the good news of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. What's Mark saying? We figured out who he is. And, it, and in this whole narrative, I'm about to, this, whole, this whole history I'm about to share with you, these people were figuring it out, and they were definitely C-minus students. They were very slow in figuring out who Jesus is. But I'm going I'm to let you know who he is. That's what this whole point is. So here comes Jesus. And there's, uh, there's three times, really, that we need Christ. This won't be in your outline, but you might jot this down. Here's, here's the first one. We need Christ when criticized by our detractors. Amen? That's verses 14 through 16. I mean, Peter, he wanted to stay up there in the mountaintop. When he saw Jesus hanging out with Moses and Elijah, he said, man, I got a great idea. Let's build, let's build three dwelling places. We'll make you all three houses, and we'll just stay up here. This would be great. But Jesus knows better. He's headed to Jerusalem and to the cross. And he knows that. So he leads them down the mountain 
to rejoin the other disciples. And they find that these nine disciples are in an argument with the Pharisees and the scribes. And there's that word immediately again. He finds his guys in trouble. And he goes to those scribes, surrounded by a great crowd, and he said, what are you talking to my guys about? What's going on? And like I said, I'm glad we got a God who's, who stands up for us. And we know that we know what happened, that this demon-possessed boy that nobody, nobody could heal. Now, we don't know. I, I wonder why that conversation or whatever that debate was is not, there's no details given. But they were arguing with Jesus' guys about something. But we don't know what it was. Maybe they were... Maybe they were using their inability to cast this demon out to try to discredit Jesus in the eyes of this great crowd that was waiting at the base of the mountain that they last saw him go up. I, I think that could possibly be what was going on there. And those disciples had failed. And their failure didn't only reflect badly on them, it reflected badly on Jesus. And... And Jesus' enemies were taking advantage of that. Boy, there's much for us to learn here. Here's a thought. Listen to me. Nobody sins in a vacuum. What's that mean? Your sin doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody around you. Everybody. The way you live, your life, it doesn't just affect you. Spiritual failures have spiritual fallout. Amen? We need to live right and be right. And boy, these guys, they, they, they had failed, and it was, it was not reflecting well. But there's a good example here, oddly enough, almost never happens. There's a good example for us to follow in the crowd itself. Because when Jesus gets down from the mountain, they give us an example of what we should do. Look, at the first thing is they saw him. You need to see, we need to see Jesus, amen? And then they were amazed at him. When you, when you understand who Jesus really is, you will be amazed. And then they ran to him. And they greeted or welcomed him. That's, that's a pretty good idea, right? We're in trouble. We've just failed. What do we need to do? In our failure, we need to see Jesus, right? We need to be amazed at who he is, run to him, and welcome him into our failure. But you know what we tend to do? What happens? Failure tends to drive us away from God, not towards him, doesn't it? And that's because we're We're growing. We're growing. As a Satan uses guilt to drive you away from God, the Holy Spirit uses conviction to draw you to God. And we need to understand the difference between those two things. We really do. So here they are. Jesus steps in. We need him for the people who look at us and say, your faith isn't real. We need Jesus when it comes to criticism by our detractors. And boy, there's a lot of it today. Just in the media, in the news, in this fallen world. Here's a second point, or a second thought when we need Jesus. We need Christ when we're confronted with a demonic. Um, and, and, and the disciples were, and they were in trouble. This poor little demon-possessed boy, disciples couldn't do anything about it. The Bible says in, in verse Matthew 17, 15, Matthew's account, he says that, that the father came and knelt before Jesus and addressed him as Lord. But here in Mark, he calls Jesus teacher or rabbi. And he tells him about this boy, his son. 
that has this evil spirit, this demon, that has made him mute, not able to speak. And verse 18 tells what happens. He said, whenever it seizes him, the spirit comes on him. It throws him down. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth. He becomes rigid. We see that later, verses 21 to 22. And that he's been like that since childhood, since he was a, a, a little fella. And, and it throws him into the fire and sometimes into the water. It, this evil spirit has tried to destroy this little boy. And so he came to Jesus' disciples looking for help. And you know what? He didn't find it. That's disappointing. And by the way, when we live our lives and we, when, we wear, when we fly the banner of, of Christian, people are going to look at us and they're going to come to us for help. Are we able to help? Or are they going to walk away disappointed? Something to think about. There are a lot of lessons here. Here's the first one. Demons are real. It's not something just in a movie, which you shouldn't watch those movies. They open doors to stuff you don't want, you don't want to have open to. You really shouldn't. But they're real. <coughs> it also tells us here that Jesus clearly believed in demon possession. He saw it. And that demons want to inflict pain and ultimately death. And demons are capable of inflicting suffering that can even show up physically. By the way, this boy had clear-cut symptoms of epilepsy. If you've ever known someone that's had seizures, that's, that's part of what's being described here. Some of that is purely just physical. But with this boy, it was more than that. It was this demonic uh, possession resulted in something that looked like a seizure. Here's something we learn, too, when it comes to the demonic, that in our own strength, we are helpless against supernatural powers. Do you all realize that? But it's nothing to fear as long as we go in God's strength and not our own. Right? Um, we better be careful that we don't trust in the victories of yesterday for the victories of today. Hmm? I've dealt with the demonic in the past. Um, I was preaching a revival in Belize. Y'all heard this story. And at the end of that sermon, I called people to repent. And this man came down the aisle, just I, in tears, just as if somebody had died. And I took him outside and began to deal with him, and it was obvious there was something going on. Well, he, he, he was definitely at a minimum being, being bothered by demonic beings. And we just, we, you know what I did? I didn't talk to those demons. I don't have to. I talked to God. Right? We prayed. He prayed. We prayed. He confessed Jesus as king. His life was changed when Jesus showed up. But I tell you what, you better not count on what happened yesterday and think, well, you know what? I did pretty good there. I can handle this one. Watch out. Because whose strength are you trusting in? Right? And then later on that night, we get back to our hostel where we were staying. And one of our fellows in the back that, that met this guy in the back, he came in about halfway through the service, takes out this huge knife. 
I said, what is that? He said, you know that guy that came down the aisle? I said, yeah. He said, he came here with this. And he said he was going to stop the preaching and the preacher. He came there to use that on me. Come to find out he was a drug, he was a, in charge of all the drugs and the drug dealing in that whole uh, part of Belize. But you know what? God had a different plan. But I can't trust in that for what might happen today. And that's the point here. Here's a third thought. We need Christ when corrected in our defeats. We really do. I'm so glad Jesus shows up when we blow it. Aren't you? Amen. And, and we need to be the kind of people that are like Jesus. Right in, the, right in the middle of our defeats. And when Jesus corrects us, we need him. Correction is seldom pleasant, but boy, is it necessary. Hard words cut, but they also cure. What did Jesus say? You'll know the what? Truth, and a truth will make you free. But sometimes the truth is hard to hear, isn't it? It really is. And I think that was maybe a case here because Jesus is pretty stern here. He's got a harsh rebuke of the disciples and I think even of this dad here. And it's in the form of two, two questions. First of all, he makes a statement there. Um, he said he calls them a faithless generation. And that word in there is genia apistos. Ah means not. Pistos means faith. Literally, he says, you are generation no faith. You say, well, I'm Gen Z. I'm Gen X. Well, they were Gen no faith. That's what, that's what Jesus called them. You, you people have no faith. That's your problem. And he was frustrated with them. And he says, he basically asked them two questions. You can feel the pain that Jesus is expressing here. He says, how long am I to be with you, and how long am I going to bear with you? Aren't you glad God never gives up? But you see that Jesus, truly man and truly God, He is frustrated. How long have I been with you people? And how long am I going to put up with your lack of faith? So it's a tough question. I appreciate that question. Sinclair Ferguson says this about it. He said, Mark vividly captures the pressures and frustration of Christ's life in these verses. On the mountaintop, he had been faced with the spiritual short-sightedness of his disciples. Here in the valley, he's confronted by their unbelief. And it's interesting in Mark's gospel, whenever the disciples get away from, mark it down, watch it. Whenever the disciples get away from Jesus, they get in trouble. Every single time. Look at Mark's narrative. By the way, that's, tr that's true with us, isn't it? You get away from Jesus, you're in trouble. And it ain't going to be long that you're going to be in trouble. And you've got to ask yourself that question, how's that working out for me? <laughs> and I guarantee you, because that's the reality. We never advance beyond our need for Jesus. Well, there's also something else we don't advance beyond, and here's the next one. We never advance beyond our need for faith. For faith. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 of chapter 9. He says this. And he answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. You hear the frustration there? Bring him to me. Verse 20. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately, there's John, here's Mark's word again, the spirit convulsed me, fell on the ground, and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. You ever seen something like that? It's disconcerting at a minimum, for sure. So he asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? 
And he said from childhood, from the time he was just a, just a baby. And often he was thrown into the fire and the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, there's that word, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. My, I think that's my second favorite verse in the Bible. We'll talk about that. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and said to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him. And notice this, and enter him no more. You know what Jesus said? Get out and stay out. Enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And this is interesting. And he became as one dead. So that many people said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Amen? I tell you what, we never advance beyond our need for faith. Jot it down. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who diligently seek him. Amen? You can't please God without faith, without belief, without trusting Him. That's what pleases Him. And the question is, how much belief? How much faith do we need? Do we need a lot? Does it have to be perfect? And thankfully, the answer is what? No. That's right, Tom. Matthew 17, 20. It would be the size of, of a mustard seed, which is smaller than a piece of pepper. I mean, that's pretty small. It's not the, the key is not the depth of our faith, but listen, the direction of our faith. Amen? It's not the, the potency of our faith, but the person that our faith is based in. A little faith in a great Savior equals amazing results. Amen? It's not how much faith you have. Listen, it's who your faith is in. It's the object of your faith. And that's great because... That takes me out of the equation. And that's a wonderful truth for us today. It's not, it's, it's not on me. I have to have a little faith, but it's what is my faith in? Is it in Jesus or is it in what happened in Belize? Be careful with that. I can't live on the victories of yesterday. I've got to walk with him today. I've got to believe today, every single day. I need to make sure that I get out of that bed trusting in Jesus Christ as my King, my Savior, and my Rescuer. Amen? The key here is, the, is direction. Jesus gives some direction. It's really clear in verse 19. Right on the heels of, how long have I been with you? How long have I got to put up with you? Bring him to me. Bring me the boy. You can sense the frustration. I don't think we think about Jesus as being frustrated. He was. He got frustrated. And you know what frustrated him? A lack of faith. You know what impressed him? A lot of faith. Go look at it. The only guy that ever impressed Jesus and blew his mind was a Roman centurion who, who was a soldier and said, no, you don't got to come to my house. Just say the word. It'll be done. I get authority. And Jesus is like, wow. He, he says to the Jews, you people don't even have faith like this Gentile. Faith impresses Jesus. A lack of faith frustrates him. Bring me the boy. 
<laughs> and that's a command. And as soon as, think of, I want you to picture this, right? So there's this, this crowd, the dad's here. He's, it, it appears that he's moved the dad off to the side with the boy. The, he, he brings the boy out, and as soon as, as soon as the demons see Jesus, Bible says immediately it convulsed the boy. So he falls to the ground, he rolls around uncontrollably, and he's foaming at the mouth. I mean, that's a crazy sight, isn't it? If you've ever seen someone have a, what's called a grand mal seizure, you, you know a little bit about what that looks like. And so Jesus, it's so funny here. If you look at the text, Jesus isn't, it's like the boy isn't even there. He's oblivious. That, that, that does not impress him. And he says to the dad, how long has that been happening? <laughs> like, like, like it's nothing. And, and the dad tells him, well, you know, since he was a kid. But notice what the dad says out of desperation. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. In the NIV, it says, take pity on us and help us. Isn't that something? This man's faith is weak and it's small. But it's still it's looking in the right direction. And he's asking the right person for help. He don't have a lot of faith, but he's got some. Now, if you remember, we looked at the leper in Mark chapter 1. Verse 40 to 45, he raised a question not of, uh, uh, he raised not a would question, but a could question. The leper knew Jesus could do it, but would he do it? This man, the father believed he would, but could he? He was willing, but was he able? And he's about to find out, right? Here's the next key is dependency. Dependency. Verses 23 to 27, Jesus responds here, and he's kind of surprised. And also at the point of the father's unbelief and doubt, Jesus deals with that directly, doesn't he? It's like Jesus said, if I, if I can, really? If I can? Listen, listen, sir. The problem is not my ability to act, but your ability to believe. And how many of us, that's true. God, God is able, do you believe? Amen. It's not in Jesus' ability to do something. It's my ability to believe that he can, that he is able. Remember that song we used to sing, he is able, he is able. I know he is able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. He is able. And Jesus points it right back to him. Look, it's not a me problem. It's a you problem. I can and I will, but will, do you believe? And that brings us to... This amazing idea, it's, the key is dependency. It's dependency. All things are possible for the one who believes, Jesus tells them. What's he saying? You're, you're, you're wondering if I can do this? Let me tell you something. If you believe, if you believe in me, everything's possible. And this guy gives the most honest answer, I think, in all of the Bible. It really is. He says, I believe, but what? Help my unbelief. That's a good, by the way, that's a good prayer. That's probably one we should be praying often and regularly. I believe, help my unbelief. Now, this almost sounds schizophrenic. Well, do you or don't you? And I'm so glad. The nature of faith is not an all or nothing thing. I believe, help my unbelief. So we see here, divine ability is not the problem, it's human unbelief. 
Psalm 34, 8, write it down. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Trust God. That's what Jesus is calling them to do. Taste and see. Verse 24, the Father immediately says, responds, I believe, help my unbelief. And here, you know what you have there? Honesty. He's, be, he's, being, he's not trying to hide anything. This guy's not playing church. Right? But it's also humility. It's humility. He's confessing to Jesus that he needs some help. You know what he's saying? Here's another good prayer. Help me in spite of me. Amen? I'm glad God answers those kind of, those kind of things. And all of a sudden, whatever's happening with this boy and the dad off to the side, the crowd gets wind of it and everybody heads over there. And Jesus realizes, I've got to do something. And I've got to do it quick. And so he commands the demons to come out of him. And he also says, and don't ever go, you, you stay out. Come out and get out and stay out. It's like he put a no trespassing sign over this kid. Violators will be sent to the abyss immediately. Amen? And there's already some angels in hell. In chains of darkness, Jude tells us. Because they disobeyed a direct command of God. And, he, and these demons knew that. He put a no trespassing sign over this boy. And by the way, when you and I repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ and are filled with, filled with His Holy Spirit. Did you hear that word, filled? Guess what? There's, there's no room for any other spirit. He's put that no trespassing sign over your spirit as well. What a glorious truth that is today. We don't have to walk in sin. Verse 26, the demons have no choice. They leave, but they make a statement and they're leaving. The kid cries out. He screams. is convulsed. The boy's body shakes all over with a with an even more terrible seizure-like activity. And they came out. But they left the kid as dead. And as a matter of fact, people even thought that he was dead. But look what happened in verse 27. It's amazing. It says this, But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up. And what's these two words say? He... Does that tweak anything? In your mind, he arose. Literally, if you literally take the Greek there and translate it, 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 it literally says, Jesus raised him and he was resurrected. So by raising this boy, Jesus gives some insight into the meaning of his own death and resurrection. Satanic powers bring death. The wages of sin is what, church? death, but divine power brings the resurrection life. That's how powerful he is. That's what dependent faith can see. How many of us need some faith today? And then here's the last one. We never advance beyond our need for prayer. Never. This, is, this would be funny if it wasn't sad. So this amazing event happens. This, the demons cast out this kid. is For the first time in his life, he's whole. Oh, and by the way there, how do you think the faith of the father is now? Yeah. <laughs> Tom. Tom's a... <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it grew a little bit, right? 
But maybe not for the reasons you think. I think his faith in Jesus grew. Boy, did it. What a scene. And it's interesting. Look at, look at verse 28, just the last two verses. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we do that? Why can't we cast that demon out? So something's going on here. When it's all over, Jesus separates from the crowd. They go into the house, just, and it indicates just the disciples and Jesus. So when they're alone, those nine disciples that had tried to cast that demon out and couldn't, can you imagine what that looked like? That was probably a mess. Uh, they get to Jesus and say, hey, why, why couldn't we do that? I mean, we saw you, do, and you, you gave us the authority to do it. We did it before. Why couldn't we do it now? And look what Jesus says in verse 29. So he said to them, this kind right here can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. This kind right here. We never advance beyond our need for prayer. I think these disciples had learned a lot. They had learned a lot. It's time to stop and think and evaluate what went wrong. Why didn't, why didn't our attempt in binding the strong man work, Jesus? What did we do wrong? And I think there's two observations here that just fall out of the text. It's simply this. Failure should lead us to ask questions of ourselves. Isn't that true? It's good to look inside, step back and take a moral inventory of your life. Why am I doing these things? Why do I keep doing the same stupid thing over and over again? I mean, what, what is broken in me that Jesus can't heal? And if he can, then the problem must not be on his side. It must be on my side. Do I believe? Do I believe he can release me? I need to walk in. We need to, take, we need to learn. We've got to ask some questions. You know what the disciples' problems were? They were self-sufficient. You know who they were trusting in trying to cast that demon out? Themselves. You know, and I like to ask the question, how's that working out for you? How's it working out, folks, trusting in you? The unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. It doesn't work out very well, does it? And it's not pragmatism. It's reality. You don't have what you need. That's why you need Jesus. Amen? You need the Lord. And they had to look at that. He said, what are we doing? We failed big time. And Jesus, our failure was public. Everybody saw it. It was a mess. It was a disaster. They're laughing at us. And they're looking down on you because we couldn't do it. Why couldn't we do it? Their, their very question tells you that their confidence was in themselves and their abilities and not in the Lord. It was not in faith. Maybe it was pride in their past accomplishments. But failure leads them to question themselves, and that's always a good thing. And here's the last observation. Failure should always drive us to God in humility. Always. So how does Jesus respond? Simple. So he gives them some insight. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, 
<laughs> some of the older manuscripts stop there. They don't add fasting. Um, that may have come later in the copies, but either way, we got to say, what does that mean? Does that mean there's there's certain demons that aren't going to be broken without prayer? I don't I don't think I don't think that's what it means. I don't think he's saying that some exorcisms require prayer while others don't. I I, I don't think that's that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is that when we take the spiritual battlefield, if we go in our own strength and our own power and, and our own pride and self-sufficiency, we have lost the battle before it ever began. How many of you know that? I think that's what he's saying. Hey, guys, you, when you're going into spiritual warfare, you better not go in there depending on you. You better go in there humbly depending on me. This kind comes out only by prayer. And, 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 and fasting as well, what are those things? It's depending on the Lord. Could this be why prayer is one of the most difficult of all spiritual disciplines? The enemy wants to keep us from that. Let me tell you, Satan wants to keep you depending on you. Because if you're depending on you, he's got you every day. Amen? The Word says, you depend on me. You go in there saying... I am powerless, you are powerful. I can't, you can. With me, all things are impossible. With you, all things are possible. Prayer itself is a declaration of our dependence on God. And you know why we don't... All right, I'm going to say it. You know why we don't pray? Because you're, we're depending on us. Give us a day our daily bread. I got three freezers worth of food. I could live for a year off of what I got frozen. I don't need daily bread from you. We're trusting in who? Us. Prayer changes that. It really does. Amen. That's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Y'all better be praying, and that's all you should be doing. Just constantly praying. You say, well, how can I pray and go to work? Man, I ha I've had some good prayer times doing physical work. Just constant communication with God. Why? Because I need to constantly remind myself that He can where I can't. Amen? That there is a power that I can plug into through faith which means humility, realizing it's not about me. I can't do it, but he can. there's a power there, and we need to constantly stay plugged into that power of realizing that God can do whatever God wants to do. He has the power to do anything where I am powerless. If I depend on me, I'm going to destroy everything around me. I tell my kids all the time. If you ever see anything good coming out of your dad, you can mark it down. There is a God in heaven, and he's doing it. And all the other stuff, that's me. That's, that's Paul depending on Paul. Amen? Does that not make sense? Jesus is trying to teach these guys, and they're, they're not, they're such slow learners. You better depend on me. Yeah, you did. You cast demons out three weeks ago. And I gave you the authority to do that. Don't be counting on what you did three weeks ago for what you need to do today. Don't be trusting in you. You, you. you trust in me. And my question is, are we doing that today? So here, here's an application. Just some questions real quick. and We're done. Consider your environment. What's around you? 
your family, your, your church, your workplace, school. Where is there chaos and brokenness in your environment? Can you think of it? As God's image bearer in that space, when you go into that space trusting in God in prayer, how might God use you to bring healing and peace where there's chaos and brokenness? It be your home, might be your work, might be school. God wants, God wants you to bring, walk into that place in utter dependence on Him in prayer to bring healing. Look at yourself. Consider yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. In what areas does Jesus want to restore you more than He already has? Come on now. What areas in your life you need to trust Jesus for that he might want to make you look more like him I guarantee you right now you're thinking of at least one thing if not three am, am I telling the truth give those to him go to him in faith I can't I can't do this in my strength I can never fill in that blank so I'm coming to you asking for your strength will you deliver me from this will you bring healing and wholeness what about your own faith? Is it alive? Is it active? Or is it dull and lifeless? Are you constantly moving in the direction of trusting in God or trusting in you? Really think about that. You want to know what one of the biggest issues we have today? Our own success. And we think we did it. Mm. And then the last one here, what about your prayer life? In your praying, are you depending on God? Is your prayer life preparing you in advance for the valleys that are coming? I love the mountaintops. I wish I could build me a condo up there. That's not how God makes it work. Right? The mountaintops are great because they remind us of who He is. But we need to take the reality of who God is and bring it into the valley of everyday life. Right? Well, you say, Pastor, what do you want me to do today? I want you to walk out of here trusting in a God who can and a flesh that cannot. Amen. Amen. Trust Him. Learn what the disciples were super slow to learn. Only learn it faster and get it better. Amen. I'm going to pray, and as I do, our musicians are going to come. We're going to stand and sing a song here in just a second. But let me pray, and if God is speaking to your heart, how about you pray? How about you talk back to God? How about you... Whatever God's put on your heart. Maybe it's one of those three things you were just thinking of. How about you pray in faith? Saying, Lord, I'm depending on you, not me. And I'm going to do that. I don't just want to do that today in this church building. I want to do that when I go home at lunch. I want to say no to some things by your power. I want to say yes to some other things by your strength. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you asking you to give us that gift of faith. Strengthen our faith. Maybe the best prayer that we could all be praying right now is the prayer of that desperate dad. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. There's unbelief in this room. There's unbelief in every one of us. I pray that you would reveal that and remove it. And just like that father walked away with a greatly increased faith, may we walk out of this room with a greatly increased faith today, trusting that you can do the impossible. But then not letting 
your advancement in our life and the good things that you've done for us trick us into thinking that we can take it from here. Keep us from that foolishness. Keep us humble, seeking your face and enjoying your fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.